one of the biggest things that people say to me when they first start having therapy with me is, I want to find out who I am. I don't know who I am because I've been so bombarded through, throughout their parenting, you know, the childhood experiences of being told, oh, don't be so sensitive, there's nothing wrong with you and stuff like that, that they completely disconnect from their own inner guidance and they don't know who they are anymore by mm. the time they're in the adult world. And people are alienated and, and deeply depressed and anxious. And this is the foundation for most of the maladies we see today is deep disconnection from self. Hello and welcome to the Mind Detox Podcast. I'm your host, Sandy Newbigging. For today's episode, I'm sharing an interview from one of my recent online club meetings, which you can start your 30-day free trial of at minddetox.club. We talked to Dr. Melanie Salmon, who, believing there must be a better way, stopped being a medical doctor in 2007 to eventually create her own methodology called QEC. I start by asking Dr. Melanie about the different kinds of early life traumas that can be limiting our health and life today. Listen in to see if any of these childhood traumas have happened to you and to learn about how trauma not only impacts our body and emotions, but is also stored in our brain. That is, until we release it. Stay tuned as she gives a great overview of her QEC technique for finding freedom through forgiveness. And if, after listening today, you want to experience QEC for yourself, then head over to my website, minddetox.com, to book some one-on-one QEC sessions with me. So, hello and welcome to this uh, chit-chat with a very special guest, uh, very special to me, uh, I've been learning a, a huge amount from uh, Dr. Melanie Salmon over the last year since our, our paths crossed. Um, I originally heard about Dr. Melanie through a re- referral from a, a friend in Scotland who recommended Dr. Melanie's work for uh, Christina, uh, who you all know well, and who shared that she had some uh, unconscious uh, patterns coming up last year with panic attacks and anxiety. And when I saw just after one session um, what what her uh, method could do for someone so dear to my heart, I knew I had to learn the technique uh, QEC. And I've graduated as a practitioner of that, which I'm very happy about. And I've also been doing another course uh, with Melanie about uh, trauma, addictions and crisis as well. Um, So I'm trying to learn as much from uh, Melanie as possible. And uh, I wanted to... Um, invite Melanie to join us today because the theme this month is forgiveness and one of the things I love about QEC is how much of it is not only about forgiveness but actually a genuine way to forgive not just in the mind but in the brain and the body too which I'll be talking to Melanie about later uh, today. So hello Dr. Melanie. Hello thank you this is uh, an honor to be invited on um and not the person who's running the show. It's lovely. I'm really enjoying this. Thank you. Yeah, it feels a bit weird the other way around this time. I've been listening yeah, to you yeah. for a year. So. Uh, but so thanks. I'm honored that you said yes. And I think uh, it's a perfect topic to have you along with me. I was actually asked to do the theme of forgiveness. And, and I thought of you and I was so happy when you said yes. So for those that haven't been hanging out with you for the last few months, um, can we do the classic beginning of, you know, who are you? 
And uh, how did you come to create this thing called QVC? Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I, I've just today, I'm coming to the end of a book on what modern, what current uh, UK medicine is all about. Um, and I've been absolutely horrified at, at the degradation of the role of doctors in, in modern medicine. And I actually left medicine. I had a strong intuition in uh, about 2007, 2008, that medicine was going badly off the rails. And I had this thought in my head, there has to be another way. This isn't working, using pharmaceuticals, going into these all these lists of protocols, trapping people, trapping doctors. And, and I took, you know, the courage. Luckily, I had a husband who was willing to support me. And I just left. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to find and where I was going to go. But I had read a book by Bruce Lipton about the subconscious mind. And I was also a trained gestalt psychotherapist. So I had that, that skill. It didn't help at all as a GP because you've only got five minutes. You know, it's no good being a good gestaltist in five minutes. But I had that skill. And so I left medicine to try and find another way. And it was a, a scary three, four-year journey of attending all kinds of different trainings. I really thought that there must be something out there that I can learn on how you work with a subconscious mind thing. And actually there wasn't, there, there was jibs and drabs of neurological things here and there, but nothing that really made any sense that I could grasp and say, okay, I can take people's problems now and change them with this big computer. The mm. subconscious mind is the big computer, you see. Our conscious mind doesn't have much power. But there was nothing. And then one day, thank God, I've got a husband who says things at the bre breakfast table. He said, I'm getting sick of you doing all these courses. Why don't you join them all up and create your own? And I said to him, don't be ridiculous. I can't do that. And he said, of course you can. And I slept on it and I came back the next day and I said, you know what? I think you've got a point. And that's all I did. You know, it was one of these kind of organic things. And eventually it all came together to be QEC. Which stands for? Quantum energy coaching. And I'm, I've, I've actually never asked you this. Why did you call it that? How did you come up with that particular words? Well, it was difficult to find a name for it. Um, and so uh, much of what I do, I, I've kind of, uh, is very intuitive. Um, and I knew that it, it had to be about quantum energy because right. we've got the body completely wrong. We still, modern medicine still, unfortunately, in most departments, treats the body like a machine with moving parts. And that's why the person who does the, the bladder work can't talk to the person who does the, the, you know, the skin work. They just don't understand each other, which is insane because actually the body is a quantum computer. It has this incredible energy field all interconnected. So I thought, you know, the, the work that I was going to do was from that place of quantum understanding, quantum energy. Lovely. And uh, it, it has a coaching element. I brought uh, Q, uh, my gestalt into it, you see. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important if we can't sit and listen to somebody's story and hear what happened to them, you know, then how can we ever begin to look for a solution? So I wanted the skill of the coaching side, so quantum energy and then coaching. And that's how I came, came, came up with the name. Lovely. I'm glad I asked. And, and um, for those that don't know what Gestalt is, what's that? Gestalt is, is a, a form of psychotherapy, which is a, uh, 
available in the UK. Anybody can can train in it. I trained in it, ooh, a long time ago in the early 90s. Um, and it, it's... Um, it, it's a talk therapy that goes beyond what other counseling therapies do because they, again, very holistic. It takes everything in the person's environment into consideration. So you're not just talking about your problem because all therapists will be interested in what's happening in your body. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it has a holistic dimension. So as a, as a doctor, when I was looking for a way to learn counseling, to be able to talk to my patients, that appealed to me because it, it was, you know, it, it included the body, it included the medical uh, dimension, and it included the field that the person's in. Hmm. So you're not just talking, interested in what the person has to say over here. You're actually interested in, you know, where does he live? <laughs> What does his family look like? Mm-hmm. What are the influences on him? What culture is he? So all of that in Gestalt is brought in. It's a, it's a more holistic, it's a much longer training. Normally counseling training is about three years. Gestalt is six. So it's it's quite an intensive, long training. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you you taught me some of it uh, during the uh, practitioner's training and it, it's uh, taken my work to a whole new level. Just, you know, I, I thought I... I was always very proud of being able to listen beyond the words. And, you know, I have, I do teach that through my academy and stuff, but that's different to that. This is more like really just really tuning into the person and actually being allowed to feel with them, which was something I was never encouraged to do. Right. And, and that's what's so lovely about Gestalt. And this is why I've uh, created my QEC with the Gestalt as the container. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and so when I teach people to uh, to teach my students QEC I have to teach them Gestalt first so the first two weeks I think it is of the training is is pure Gestalt Mm -hmm. And, and what Gestalt is about is how do you connect and the problem that we have so much on this planet is disconnection and people don't know how to make that connection and it's all through feeling it's through getting into the heart and feeling a felt sense of connection and then making just the simple observation as the therapist saying, I see you, or I, I really hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, just that, the, the gravity of that is so healing and so amazing for mm-hmm. most people because they don't even get that. You know, everything is so fast. They're not seen, they're not heard, they're not understood. But Gestalt slows it all down and says, you know, I teach my practitioners to just do that little bit in those in, in the early parts of, of the training. Very I think, I, I, I think leading on what you're saying, I think there's some of the more modern uh, transformational techniques and stuff, they almost uh, are a, a form of gaslighting and it's a t- because they, there's not, there's almost like the person isn't allowed to just have that space to feel what, what they're feeling, um, be understood and seen. Um, does, that, does that make sense to you? What I'm saying? <clears throat> Uh, can you give me an example of gaslighting? Well, well I, I, it feels like, you know, you've almost uh, to, to jump to the point of it's just an emotion or it's just a feeling or, you know, sometimes in my old path, I was taught that compassion was not necessarily feeling with the other person. That would just uh, prolong their, their, their suffering. But what you're saying is actually, initially, a person needs to be seen, heard, understood, and that might include, you know, feeling with them initially, at least. Well, yeah, absolutely. 
you know, this can go into a whole discussion about can you feel or are you in your head? And I think the problem with so many of these talk therapies is they come from a mental uh, headspace, you see, and especially the ones that are very analytical. I'm not going to name names now because there could be many people in the audience who have trained in them. But, 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 you know, there's a difference between being in a headspace and being in your body and being in a hard space. And what I loved about Gestalt is it taught me to do that. I mean, I was frozen when I entered Gestalt at the age of 40. I didn't have a clue. I wasn't connected to my feelings. And that's because I had so much trauma. And when we have a lot of trauma, we go into the headspace. It's the only safe place to be. And we disconnect from here. Um, And it took me many, many, many years of sitting with a gentle, loving Gestalt therapist who just said, I hear you, I see you, for me to feel safe enough to eventually come into my body where I could feel and experience the grief and the pain of, of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's what it's all about. It's about coming out of the headspace and into this heart space, connecting. You can't change until you do that. You can't change without that connection. And, and that's that was, what worries me so much about what's going on at the moment is the enforced disconnection. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought you'd finished. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got to forgive myself for interrupting. Um, oh, now I've lost train of thought. So that just went great, didn't it? Just there. But I think what I was going to say was last week we were talking about uh, gaslighting when I was talking about forgiveness, because I, I feel it's so important not to gaslight ourselves. It's almost like if we're denying are unwilling to accept our own reality of what we've experienced. We can't, we're not even at a point yet to forgive because we are almost convincing ourselves there's either nothing to forgive or we're in complete denial. Does that what, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why also what I meant about this whole idea of gaslighting. You taught me that term. Do you mind just saying a little bit more about it briefly as to what it, what it is? It's a funny term. It, it, it actually, it, it comes from, um, a play that was on in London many decades ago. Um, I forget the name of the play, but the process of the of the play was that um, th- this man was married to a very wealthy woman, and he wanted to drive her crazy so that he could get her inheritance. He wanted her admitted to a mental hospital, and the way he did it was he kept turning the gas lamp down, and she'd say. Oh, it's, it's, it's gone a little bit dark. And he said, no, it hasn't. You're imagining it. So he kept turning the gas lamp actually up and down and, and questioning her evaluation of, of the atmosphere. And it eventually drove her crazy. So, so that's where gas, the term gaslighting comes from. It means denying a person's reality. Or minimizing. How often does that happen? You know, if, a, if either someone's got recently into personal development, self-help, and everything has to be positive. And then someone comes along and says they've got a problem and they'll say, oh, just be, just be present or just think positive or, or whatever. It's so common these days and it's so relevant to forgiveness because until we're at that point beyond gaslighting, I don't know how we can actually get to forgiving. Well, you know, it, it's difficult to, to, to become real about anything until you can get into your body and connect with your feelings. Mm-hmm. You see, that for me is always the first step anyway, which would include forgiveness, which would include having a realistic understanding of, of who I am and what I feel. Because when we're in that headspace, we're in such a removed um, a reality that is not who I am. One of the biggest things that people say to me when they first start having therapy with me is, I want to find out who I am. 
I don't know who I am because I've been so bombarded through, throughout their parenting, you know, the childhood experiences of being told, oh, don't be so sensitive, there's nothing wrong with you and stuff like that, that they completely disconnect from their own inner guidance and they don't know who they are anymore by the time they're in the adult world. And people are alienated and, and deeply depressed and anxious. And this is the foundation for most of the maladies we see today is deep disconnection from self. You remind me of something else that we were learned on the course, which was about toxic shame and, and that examples that you're giving can sometimes lead to that. Is, is that correct? Am I, am I right in the way that, oh, that don't do that, you shouldn't do that, all that kind of stuff? It can lead to some, well, the, the consequence of doing that to very young children under the age of seven, certainly under the age of three, put, uh, putting a child down, telling it, don't do that or you're wrong with that. The consequence of that is the experience of shame because mm-hmm. children enter the, the world of feeling shame from about the age of 18 months. They don't before that. They're very protected as infants from that experience. But the minute they they develop autonomy and they start to crawl and walk and have some independence, if you try and thwart that independence in any way whatsoever, the child's response to that is shame. That's why they go into a tantrum because it's such a shocking experience. They're so shocked by that that the body responds in a full-blown you know, fall on the floor response. And that's what shame is. And it, children who get a lot of that at that age end up being, people end up being very shame-based, sadly. Mm-hmm. So just so no one's confused here, it's okay to occasionally, and you know, give your child guidance. We're not saying don't give your child guidance and, and never say no, but there's, there's something where it gets to a point where it sent, turns into this thing called toxic shame, which seems to be different than just this, very good human experience of shame because that's how we know what's right and wrong in our boundaries and stuff. So am I right? And, and there's, yeah, there can't, yeah, look, you can't damage a child every time we say don't do that. <clears throat> no, 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 no. I mean, obviously every time you say no and a child's going to jump off the balcony is, is, is an experience and they do have an experience of shame when you shout no. But it's the way you manage it. And, you know, when you pick them up and go, oh, there, 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 come over here, let's go and get a nice glass of water kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you distract them and you help and you support. Toxic shame is an entirely different thing. This is where you have over-controlling parents who cannot allow any individuality in the child showing that it's got that individuality and is now moving away potentially. And they squash it down through over-controlling uh, and manipulative behavior it's the kind of thing that you would get in narcissistic parenting where a narcissist cannot see a child outside of her own needs she she can only see it in in terms of this child is here to serve me and with, and that's where toxic shame comes from most of the people i've met including myself because i had that beginning as well come from a narcissistic parenting style which is is severe and it's it's, it's continuously uh, that way but your ordinary one now and again is not going to harm a child now okay. i just wanted to make sure people don't leave here with thinking they should never do that okay great um all right i did promise that we would talk about forgiveness but i i just also wanted to give my guys a, a chance to get to know you and and showcase some of your your wisdom and knowledge because it's amazing what you know and so I wanted just to go off piece a little bit, but I'm sure it will come back in, in the end. So we did say we're going to talk about forgiveness. Um, so what is forgiveness and why would we want to forgive? 
Well, forgiveness is is an interesting thing. You know, a, a lot of people come come to me uh, f- for work, and I've started working in the last five or six years almost exclusively now with with trauma, and and I and I tell people that I I've got this this way of working with trauma, which the main part of it is is forgiveness. And many people go, I, I don't want to do that. You know, I've, I've done, I've done the forgiveness work. I've been on the workshop. I'm, you know, I've done it. And what people don't understand, and this is when I start to then explain what I'm talking about here. You see, forgiveness, when you do it consciously, uh, you consciously forgive those that perpetrated whatever they did against you is one thing. And you may feel better for a while. I tried to go on those workshops too once upon a time and, and it didn't really last. Nothing really happened. There wasn't any fundamental change in the way I felt towards the perpetrator. Okay. What I realized as, as you know, with creating my own work anyway, if you don't work at the subconscious mind, you don't get lasting change of the key things in life, such as trauma. And, and forgiveness is absolutely necessary in order to heal trauma. And the reason I came across this, thank goodness, was because I am South African and I went back to South Africa when Nelson Mandela was brought into power. And there was potential in that country for, you know, devastation. There really was. I mean, it it was a very, very tricky time because there have been huge crimes against humanity perpetrated by police and so on. And what Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, together decided on was a Truth and Reconciliation Commission where they, it it, it wasn't a court, but it was set up like a court where they got all the people who had had civil rights and uh, violations against them to tell their stories to the police who, who had perpetrated the crimes. They had them all in the courtroom, and it went on for three years, the stories, just one after another. And, and the police would be listening to this, and they would, they, they would be crying. Everybody was, you know, exposed to the reality of victims and perpetrators being with each other, and they asked for forgiveness you know, can can you please forgive me? And quite often what would happen is they would cross the room and actually embrace each other in that forgiveness moment. And what Desmond Tutu said after, after those three years, he came out of that and he said, this is what has changed the entire nation and brought about peace. Because without forgiveness, you don't get true change. You don't get true acceptance of what was done to you. And it was so successful, the truth of the truth being told and then the reconciliation with forgiveness that followed that this commission was it, it, it kind of spread globally. There were more than two or three thousand of them happened all over the place because it was so successful. So I took that and I went, OK, I'm going to use forgiveness in, in my work with trauma and see whether it works um, and as as always, I tested myself first because mm-hmm. I'd had horrible traumas, one of which was having to forgive the British medical hospitals for my baby dying and completely mismanaging a, a, my child. Wow. And, and I was very angry, still very angry about it. But I did my own work on myself with forgiveness. And it really lets the whole trauma go 
in a way that it becomes distant. You see it as a memory. It's there, but there's no more emotional tie to it. So that's the power of forgiveness. It seems to change the wiring in the brain in a way that is immediate and permanent. And, you know, it, it can be set aside, that particular trauma, when you work on that. Wow. Um Okay, thank you for that. That's a beautiful definition and explanation and examples. And I'm sorry what happened to you as well, that you had to forgive that. Um, I meet some people that don't uh, feel they have the right to forgive. Um, I almost have to sometimes be in, you know, in, in conversation with them, trying to almost say, you know, they don't, I don't have the right to forgive my parents or, or whatever. And what would you say to someone that doesn't really have the right to forgive or they have a resistance around forgiveness? There are quite a few people who have resistance. Uh, some people have, you know, for different reasons. Some might be, I'm still very angry and I could never forgive. And others say, well, I'm not God. It's not my job to forgive. Hmm. We don't, I don't get into any of those things. What I tell them is that in order for you to be free of this burden that is affecting your life to this day, something that happened 30 years ago still affecting you to this day, you get triggered which is how it still affects you. And I, and I, I say, you know, the, the forgiveness that you're doing is to, is to heal yourself. It's got nothing to do with the other person. What happened was wrong. You and I both agree you should never have been raped, right? It was wrong. I know it was wrong. I agree. And we both go, yeah, yeah. But in order for you to be free of that, we need to do the work where we can forgive at the subconscious level of mind. And I have no problem with people accepting once I explain that. I also say it's got nothing to do with God and religion. And, you know, if you are one of those, yes, God will forgive on a different spiritual level, maybe. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about rewiring the brain, and this is a necessary step. There are about 10 steps to my to my healing um, protocol uh, of the, the first one being forgiveness of the purpose and then forgiveness of self you've got it forgiveness is a two-sided coin you've got to forgive what they did to me and my part in it you know I had some part even if I just lay there and took it I still had some part okay mm -hmm. so two-sided coin wow that's powerful that's one of the things I love about it is this this double-sided coin that, that you uh, do now you you touched on something I wanted to touch upon so um you talked about the brain um, and trauma. And something you taught me was that uh, trauma does not only dysregulate the autonomic nervous system, but also gets stored in the procedural memory part of the brain. Can you, I've, I've mentioned it to my guys a little bit here and there, but you taught me it. So can you share and elaborate a bit more about how trauma uh, impacts the nervous system and the, uh, or the ANS and the procedural memory? Would that be okay? <laughs> I'm making you work hard on a Sunday night, but... Uh, it, it's only hard with, it's only hard without the powerpoint and the picture <laughs> but i'll try my best and see whether i can i can put the language to it <laughs> so, so yes i mean trauma the thing about trauma is everybody there are very few people who understand trauma in the world the doctors haven't got a clue they really don't even go there um, and, you know, there are some people who are, are becoming trauma specialists nowadays, but very few people really understand. They think it's all different. There are different kinds of traumas in different areas, but actually they all, they all have the, exactly the same cause in the human being on the receiving end. So whether you're in the trauma of war or you're being, you know, raped at 13 
or, or, or you're being, you know, brought up by a cruel father that beats you all the time. You will have, you have this exactly the same action happens in you on the receiving end for all of those. But they try to, so often it's seen as different. And so we have to have different methods of treatment. That's actually not true at all. Um, so what happens when I'm on the receiving end of something that's traumatic or unpleasant for me or shocking for me? There are two things. There's only two responses. The first response is the immediate one, which is my nervous system. And the part that responds is the automatic one. So it's called the autonomic nervous system. It's the part that goes on whether I like it or not, will respond to the situation uh, and it's called fight and flight, which everybody knows about, you know, it, your nervous system moves into fight or flight. What does that mean? It means I'm either going to fight the assailant off or I'm going to run away. Okay, so that's my first option is action, fight and flight. If I can't, if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm a child and I'm being beaten with a belt, I, I can't fight. I can't flight. I can't do that. So what happens is the nervous system goes it keeps increasing in intensity to try and prevent what's happening. And it goes then next into a state of disconnect or freeze where I, I, I can't, I don't feel the pain anymore. Okay. So it's a, it's a deeper state of disconnect, but it's in order to save me from the unpleasantness. So this is what happens to everybody who goes into shock, they will go into a state of what's called freeze. So they don't feel anything. And that's why soldiers can walk around with an arm off, trying to still help their colleagues get off the field because they're not feeling anything. They're so frozen. So this is the autonomic nervous system. which responds in that way to protect us emotionally from what's going on. The other thing that happens besides the nervous system responding is that memory goes into an area in the brain called procedural memory. And when you've been traumatized, that memory is never forgotten. It gets locked into the part of the brain, which is the same one that we learn speech in, or the same one that we learn to ride a bicycle in. So our procedural memory is alive and working until the age of seven for everything that we're exposed to. That's why you can teach a child five languages under the age of five, because it just soaks it in and it knows it never forgets. And the same thing happens with trauma. If I'm raped at 13, that experience will go into that memory and it will never go away. It will be there as the day it happened. So that every time I see a man with that color hair or, or, or a room that looks like that, this, this, this trauma memory wakes up just as my language might wake up and I can speak Russian all of a sudden, mm -hmm. I remember that trauma as if it was yesterday. So, so those are the two things that happen. We get a memory that never goes away, just like riding a bicycle is never forgotten. And this is the burden. People carry more and more of these memories that never go away in the brain. And they get more and more burdened because there's more to be triggered. So I'm constantly going into fear or going into freeze. And so what I've learned to do, I mean, when I did TRE and, 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 and Maya knows, she came and, and learned TRE as well. I, I took TRE to South Africa thinking this was the answer. What does TRE stand for, briefly? Trauma-releasing trauma exercises. 
I brought David Baselli to England and then I brought him to South Africa and I became the national trainer for 10 years. So I, I was the top dog in TRE and I thought this was how you were get, we were going to get rid of our trauma. We shake it off because you don't have to talk about anything. You just lie on the ground, you shake it off. And what it does, it's beautiful what it does, but it takes three months. It brings the nervous system out of that height of fight and flight or free state down to a nice relaxed ground level. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't do anything with the memory in the brain. You're still left with that. You still get triggered next time you see the man with the, with the white hair. You get triggered, boom, back into that trauma, and your nervous system gets switched on. And I saw then, after 10 years of trying so hard to make it the thing that was going to be for trauma, I realized that it, it's pitfall. And and the other problem was you had to keep doing the exercises. You couldn't stop after three months. I was still doing it after four or five years. And one day, David Baselli, who is the founder, developer and trainer, I said to him, how long do I have to keep doing this TRE? You know, three times a week, you've got to find time to lie on the floor and shake. And he said, for the rest of your life, you have to keep doing it. And I thought, no, 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 I, I can't do this anymore. I've got to find a better way to work. So anyway, that's what QEC can do now. It can do both. It, 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 it I, I do the bring the nervous system back to balance in in a much quicker time than three months. Generally, four or five sessions is all it takes to bring it back to a ground level of 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 calm, and and then we we heal. We wipe out those memories in the brain so that they're not triggered anymore. And each trauma will take a separate session. Wow. Okay. Thank you. You you nailed it. So you did well for Sunday night. Thank you very much for that explanation. Autonomic nervous system, procedural memory. Um, first, while I remember, you've said it a couple of times, you've been uh, quietly pitching the, the name of your book. There has been another way. I just wanted to make sure everyone knows that you had a book come out recently. Is it, is it there? Yeah, let me get it. Um, and the book is called There Has to Be Another Way. It came out this month or January or was it January? January. January. There you go. There has been another way. And that's that's not teaching QEC as such. It's more your story. Is that right? It's my story and why I left medicine and, and why I created QEC. And I share at the end some of my own healing, my own QEC healing on myself. Yeah. Beautiful. So there you go, guys. I see lots of people writing it down, so you might get a few sales tonight. (laughs) There has been another way. Um, There's something that I want to ask you is that, uh, you know, you're giving some quite extreme examples of traumas right now, but I've I've felt that I've healed a lot of trauma with you. I never had any any of these big traumas that you're talking about. So can can we bring it back to, you know, not everyone's had these traumas, but they might still have trauma to heal. So what sort of traumas that aren't so extreme are you aware of that you have to work with people with often yeah you're right I mean I did just give the extreme examples because I was the first that come to mind um I suppose I come out of a country you know uh, South Africa was such a training ground for all of this trauma work because everything just came in extreme packages Mm -hmm. But I'm now back in gentle Devon and life is not so extreme here anymore. Yeah, no, look, just basically the, the people that really want to, to to come and do QVC these days, there's still a lot of trauma, I have to say, underneath the surface. But on the surface, most people just have a level of discontent. 
you know, they might have a bit of anxiety, chronic anxiety, or they might have a bit of depression, or they might have medical problems that have started to come crop up. And all of these are all signs that the nervous system has been chronically in, under stress, low-grade stress for a long, long time. And finally, you're getting the breakthrough as medical problems. And, you know, once you start getting sick and start going to the doctor, then you know the system is breaking down. Okay. The way that medicine explains it is a load of nonsense. What it really is is the system breaking down because it's not been relieved of, of the pressures and the stresses. So I love working with people who haven't got these major traumas because it, it's it's incredibly satisfying to see somebody go from a space of, you know, depression, anxiety, not sleeping well, a few symptoms, gut problems, what, 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 you know, not really happy about life, not really sure whether there's a future. My relationships are not so great. And, you know, I'm not getting on with my kids so well. Brilliant. Come to QEC for that because that's really easy to work with. Do you know what I'm saying? And at the end of four or five sessions with me, six sessions maybe, those people, have they, they really write me letters and say, I'm a completely different person. I don't know how we've done this, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they find that peace and that connection and that health uh, and vitality. Again, you know, I, I could just, I've got to start writing a book now about case studies. That's my next book mm-hmm. uh, because there's so many wonderful stories to share. I'm getting the door knocked. I'm in a hotel right now, so someone might walk in on us any second. Um, no, ora por All right, we'll see if they if that's enough. Um, yes, you you mentioned thwarted autonomy, which is a more subtle one that's less severe as a trauma. Um, I also learned from you about proximal abandonment. What's that? It's more common now than than it ever has been. So proximal means being being with. To be next to someone means to be proximal to them. You and I are proximal at the moment. So proximal abandonment is when the mother is there, but she's not there. So the infant will be emotionally abandoned, even though the mother is taking care of its needs, feeding it, washing it, putting it to bed. But she's emotionally distant because she's got postnatal depression or because she's so traumatized herself, she's frozen or because she's in a state of stress because she's getting divorced, whatever it might be. If, it, if an infant is exposed consistently to a mother being there but not there available to meet his needs in a skin-to-skin, face-to-face contact, that child will experience proximal abandonment. And it's most severe and it's most important under the age of three, uh, certainly in the infancy. If that attunement experience is called attunement by the, the pediatricians, if you do not get your needs met in that age group, not to three, it, it affects you for the rest of your life. There are consequences. So that's proximal abandonment. And, and this is what I work very hard to heal because many, many people have, have, have had that experience. There's also evidence about things being passed down through generations as well. Um, I'm not talking about past lives. I'm talking about literally things that run in the family tree, like grief or whatever. I've, I've had a couple of clients that have, I've seen a whole line of grief um, that they've been trying to heal with with QEC. Have you observed that too? Absolutely. And I'm even getting to the stage now where when I'm working with uh, the person's condition that is a mirroring of previous generations doing the same thing, um, I'm, I'm adding now at the end of the trauma formula that I'm 
just I, I'm separating myself from previous generations. I want to cut the tie from that. So we we found a sentence to to state that that energetically we're going to stop this coming down any anymore. Mm-hmm. So there there is an energetic flow down down the generations, but more than the energetic flow, I think is just the repetition of the behavior patterns. Mm-hmm. That's why things get recreated. Yeah, I was working with a, a client with QEC, um, and they'd be experiencing like underlying depression and sadness, but it appeared to be more like a misdiagnosed grief that had been passed down. And I think you know, I've been, I've been really fascinated recently to see how depression can often be uh, it's an underlying loss and grief, and it, it's diagnosed as sadness, but actually, when you get to the heart of it, it seems to be something else. Yeah. I don't know if you find that too, but that's just me asking my teacher about that. <laughs> is that is that something you've seen too? <laughs> I'm seeing um very interesting. I'm I'm seeing a family at the moment who um are worried about their teenage daughter. So I, I I'm working I'm creating new work with families now where I don't see the children. I work with the parents. So I said to the parents, "You need to come and let's work with you first. Work with dad, no problem with him." And then I started working with mum. And she said uh, all she'd had in her lifetime and in all the generations before her was that was the experience of suicide. She witnessed her father trying to commit suicide when she was 13 herself. She was stuck in a mental hospital behind locked doors because she was suicidal in a room with a mattress and a metal frame. This is not in our country. This is in the east somewhere. Locked in for four and a half months because she was suicidal. So never healed, never treated and now guess what happens? She's with me. That afternoon, we, we get a call to say the daughter's attempted suicide. So, so now I'm working with her, her history, her parental history, and all, of, all of, everything was about suicide. And here's her 14-year-old daughter who's trying to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, you wonder about the, you know, what is going on there? Anyway, we're making great progress because uh, we've healed the daughter. She's already going back to piano lessons and she's not suicidal anymore. But mom has got a, a lot of healing to do in her. And until she heals her history, that child's at risk because she's just passing on the suicidal energy, whatever that is. You know, I'm not talking very, very professionally here, but I don't know what you call this stuff. Mm. No, oh, wow. It's a, it's, it's remarkable. And I got to be honest, like with, with, when you've got, when you, when you categorize it, there's both kind of extreme types of trauma, stress, you know, impressions in the nervous system, stress and stuff that's carried that dysregulates the nervous system and impacts piezoal memory. That's answering Suji who asked what definition of trauma. So I'm trying to cover that. Um, But you've also got the less, you know, severe examples that are just almost, how many kids were raised in the 60s, 70s, 50s, just, it was just take the kid home, put them in their own, the room next door, let them cry out. They'll, they'll eventually stop all these subtle, just cultural ways. I honestly don't know if I meet anyone right now that couldn't do with a few sessions just to release whatever's there. I, I, you know, have you met anyone recently who hasn't got some trauma that they could let go of? I, you know what my honest feeling is? I think 100% of people are traumatized at now at this time on the planet. And having gone through, you know, the stresses of the last two years, mm. if you weren't before, you will be now. So, you know, there, there's so much work out there. 
there's so much work out there. We definitely need more QVC practitioners. But the good news is it's you can do it online. You don't have to have the person into your home. I mean, it's a luxury to have people come and visit me at home. But I, I have a global reach. And, you know, I'm healing people in Australia. I've got this incredible family with three damaged children. And we're just doing incredible work. In, in a few weeks, the kids are better. You know, they're, they're moving on with their lives. So, um, yeah. Yeah, everybody's traumatized, Sandy. Seriously. Mm -hmm. And for those that have no idea what QUC is, uh, do you want to end by just giving a quick little kind of guide as to like what what would what would a session involve? Well, it's a series of sessions. I usually do any anything between uh, three to six sessions. And the first session uh, is really to get your whole history and whole story. So I hear everything about you from the beginning. I want to know everything from the time you're in the womb, what experiences you might have had. So I get a picture of your past. And then I want to know, you know, what are you struggling with now? What do you want to change? What in your life? Why are you here? You know, is it a physical problem? Is it a medical problem? Is it an emotional or psychological problem? Maybe it's anxiety, whatever it is. In the first session, so I would, each session is, is at least half the session is spent listening. You know, tell, tell me what's going on. Let me really hear. Let me really grasp. And then once I've, I've heard that, we decide to, okay, we'll start off working where you are now. I always start where people are. The past can come later. And what would you like to change? Well, I really want to get rid of my, like your partner, want to get rid of my panic attacks. I mean, I can't go out of the house. I'm really housebound with this. And then I, I offer the person the opportunity for self-healing because it's I'm not prepared to fix anybody anymore. I did that as a doctor. It didn't work. So I hand somebody a magic wand and I say, imagine you've got a magic wand and you, here you've got stuck in the house with panic attacks. You can't get out of the house for eight years. Take a magic wand. Tell me what you'd rather be. And she says, I want to be free of panic attacks and able to go anywhere. That might be her sentence. I would write her sentence down word for word. And then we do the technique. There will be other sentences, but let's say that one. So I give, I empower the person to go to their highest thinking in their brain to come up with a solution for themselves. We install their sentence for themselves, not my sentence. And I use a simple technique which creates a gamma brain wave in the brain. It's a, 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 you breathe in a certain way. For, for five breaths, you sit in a crossover position like this, which joins the left and right hemispheres, and you, I ask you to bring up a feeling of gratitude. And those three things, when they're done together, boom, you get a, the brainwave changes to what's called a gamma brainwave. It's a very fast brainwave for installation. So as soon as you have the feeling of gratitude, you say yes to me or you nod your head. I read you your sentence, you repeat it after me, and it goes in into your subconscious mind. And that actually changes the wiring in the brain there and then permanently it's done. We never have to repeat that one again. And you experience the shift in that. Sometimes people will feel it at the end of the session. They'll say, I'm feeling a bit lighter or I'm feeling a bit dizzy or whatever. By the next day, as your partner did for me, she sent me a message to say, my anxiety's gone. It's gone. It's gone. I can't believe it. It's gone. Um, so, yeah, it's very quick. It's very quick. So th that's a typical session for one symptom, to just to give you a, a, you know, a kind of little story there. But obviously, as people have more 
details and more things that they're dealing with, it becomes a tiny bit more complex. But it's a very simple, straightforward way to work. I don't require anybody to have previous training in anything at all. I've actually even trained, you know, my best QEC practitioner was an 18-year-old girl in Cape Town who had just finished school. And she came, she had no other input in her head. She came and she soaked up QEC. She was fabulous. She ended up being one of my best practitioners. So you don't have to have previous experience. It, you know, it's very easy, actually. And what I love about it is that when you get into later sessions, you're also doing a, what, the forgiveness, whether who, whatever you need to forgive. Um, and you can also use it for uh, addictions, manifestation, um, all that sort of cool stuff too. So it's very flexible. But um, thank you so much for your, your time today. I'm going to wrap up the uh, official interview. Um, any final words for those listening in, in the future? You know, at a time where we've had nothing but bad news uh, and, and and seemingly out of things out of our control on the planet, I really want to say that with QEC, you can get your control back, you can get your life back, you can get your health back, and you can get your happiness back. Really, I really mean that. And please go and see, you're a fantastic therapist. Go and see Sandy for some QEC and, and, and see how it works. That's very kind of you. Thank you. It means a lot going from you. Um, I hopefully, we'll, a different topic, different day. You might come back one day. But until then, I wish you many, many thanks for your time uh, with us today, Dr. Melanie Sam. And if after listening today you want to experience QEC for yourself, then head over to my website minddetox.com to book some one-on-one QEC sessions with me.